At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non-toxic, non-flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco-friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the podcast. So we got Brett Phillips on the podcast. We're going to do a deep dive into dehumidification and humidification. Now, in the shoulder seasons where it's raining, you could still have humid weather but not have to turn the AC on. So what are some solutions that we can identify to solve those problems? The other thing we're going to tackle is hum- humidification. We're going to talk about steam. We're going to talk about evaporative type. So it's going to be a good conversation. You're going to learn some stuff. I learned some stuff. Let's get going. This is the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and I'm actually just picking up some equipment from The Master Group for a friend. This is a Coleman brand AC and case coil. The Coleman line is sold by Master Group and it's a pretty slick line. So I signed up to be a dealer and we're going to graduate through the process. So check out the Coleman brand at master.ca. So I'm super proud to announce that Cintas has come aboard as a podcast sponsor for the foreseeable future. There's going to be a link that you guys can use if you're interested in their services, but they've been providing uniforms to the HVAC community for about 90 years or so and they have this comfort flex brand I've got some samples pretty cool stuff so it's a four-way stretch I don't know if you guys have ever worn stretchy jeans like stretchy denim I've got a couple of pants that are stretchy and they're pretty comfortable it's better than the stiff old school type uniform and I'm told that you can actually go down a couple of sizes in pants because of the the stretchiness of them so pretty cool stuff so if you're interested in Cintas check them out I will have a a promo link for you guys very very shortly welcome to the HVAC know-it-all podcast recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto Canada your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. You probably geek out when we talk indoor air quality. There's a lot of us that do. And yeah, it's, it's a pretty big uh, uh, in my company and um, uh, all manner of, of air indoor quality. Yeah, no, <laughs> I feel no. like I'm. No, no, no kidding. I mean, you're, you're with April air and I'd like you to maybe give yourself a bit of an introduction, just a couple minutes of, of what you do there in your background. Sure. Um, well, my name is, uh, Brett Phillips. I'm the product specialist here at April air. Um, it's, it's kind of a support role, but, uh, my background in the company spans about 17 years. Uh, so I've, I've spent, uh, a, my whole career here talking with uh, customers, contractors, um, our customers, the, the supply companies, uh, and uh, about all of our products. So I, I use that background and that ex- experience to uh, help uh, shape and guide our, our new products, make sure that the products that we produce are, are uh, you know, the best they can be, um, and, uh, and make sure that we're, we're hitting all the right notes with our, with our new products. Cool. So how long, like, I don't know this. So how long has April air been around for like how many years? Uh, well, the, the company itself has been around for about 80 years. Wow. Uh, we, we really started getting into our, um, IAQ products in the 1950s with, with our first humidifiers. Um, and since then we've, we've added products at, at a pretty steady rate. So the 1950s was humidifiers, the 1970s was air cleaners. Um, then we move on and, and we start ventilation, uh, 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 air exchangers for ventilation, um, thermostats and zoning in the 90s, um, dehumidifiers uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, and then most recently, um, uh, just this year, we've uh, gotten into uh, radon mitigation. Um, so we're really uh, interested in all uh, all aspects of indoor air quality. Yeah. I think radon mitigation would be a topic on its own that 
we should probably have at some time in the near future because that's that's something that's pretty important and a lot of people really don't have any education on including myself i don't know much about radon to be honest with you so maybe we can talk about that at some point down the line absolutely but this topic here is we're going to talk dehumidification and then we'll try to get into some humidification I think because we're heading into the summer months and spring, it's rain, there's moisture in the air. It's good to talk dehum. And like the importance of dehumidification is not really something that a lot of people target. It's it's like they want to heat, they want to cool. But humidification and dehumidification seems to be on the back burner. And let's I'm hoping to bring the education to put it more on the front burner, along with the other two, heating and cooling, to, to make the house, the building, whatever it is, more comfortable. What, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think that a, a, a lot of people find that, that um, uh, their, their air conditioning system uh, is, is maybe adequate for dehumidification because it's sort of a byproduct of the cooling process. But one of the hidden things is that a lot of newer systems tend to be a bit more efficient at cooling and uh, and not quite as efficient as at dehumidifying. Um, plus, as we're in the cooler season right now, uh, I guess depending on where you are, um, maybe your AC isn't running yet, but humidity does start to climb, and uh, and so that system is not there to to handle that humidity load, where a dehumidifier can run, uh, you know, independent of the HVAC system, and and handle that before it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that as let's talk about this, 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 the shoulder season spring, just before the summer when it's not really warm enough in a lot, some places it is like some places it's warm enough to run the AC full tilt right now, certain parts of the day, I would imagine. Uh, we just had, uh, on Sunday there, it was literally like, uh, I would say, um, 79 close to 80 degrees on sunday it was like this out of nowhere it was just that warm um and and it was really warm in the house we probably could have ran the ac but we just opened the windows to air everything out and and stuff but the, the the days where you're probably sitting around 55 outside or something like that and it's it's raining and it's muggy and you can feel the dampness sort of in the home or the building what are some ways we can get rid of that humidity well a, a whole house dehumidifier a lot of people might run portable dehumidifiers but really handling the humidity across the whole house is important um, you know wherever the dehumidifier is located wherever that that point of contact is with the home air is going to be the point where it starts to dry first and dry the quickest um, and then slowly humidity across the whole home will uh, will start to drop uh, with a whole home dehumidifier, you can usually use the, uh, if you have a ducted system, use those ducts to carry the dry air throughout the house and get a more even drop in humidity. Um, but, um, you know, it it will eventually get, get the humidity across the whole house. Mm-hmm. Now, a whole home dehumidification system, I guess, do you guys have those in, in your product lineup? We do. Uh, we carry a range of dehumidifiers from 70 pints up to 130 pints of moisture removal per day. Um, and uh, 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 one thing about them is, well, I was going to mention about uh, portables is sometimes they tend to have uh, a reservoir of some type that mm-hmm. um, that means that once they're full, they shut off until you manually empty at whole home units and uh, uh, have a, a a drain system, so they'll they'll drain, they'll run twenty four seven if that's what's required. Gotcha. Okay, so the, the the whole home ones, where is the best place to install them into? Like, how do how do we put them into a system? It can vary depending on the home. Uh, in some places, uh, like like where we are in the Midwest, uh, basements are pretty common. Um, in in other parts of the country, uh, attics are more common. Um, some, some will use a crawl space, uh, if, if the home has that, um, there are even some closet installations. Uh, it's really any, any point that you can get access to the, the air in the home, uh, dry it out and then distribute that right back into the home. Um, 
if you have a ducted system, again, you can you can use that to help uh, disperse that dry air uh, throughout the home, wherever that's wherever they have a good place to attach that. Uh, in other cases, uh, they might just use a, a couple of dedicated grills in the floor or in the wall um, and uh, and introduce that straight into the home. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think that a uh, what is a good point to target when you're dehumidifying the air? Uh, generally speaking, you would say about 60% relative humidity. Uh, if you get much above that, the high 60s into the 70% range, you could lead into conditions that might, um, uh, produce mold or mildew, bacteria, viruses. Uh, so below 60 is good. Uh, if you get below 50%, that's the point where, uh, dust mites will become inactive. Um, I, I would say, you know, it's, it's kind of a comfort level too. I, I think as humans, we're going to be most comfortable right around 50% relative humidity. Uh, if you get a lot you know, lower than that, then it feels dry. If you get a lot more humid than that, um, the temperature might be fine, but you might feel a heaviness to the air. Might, you're, you might feel cold and clammy um, and, uh, and, you know, uncomfortable, even though the temperature is, is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it, that's, that's why I say it's, it's something that a lot of techs, companies, whoever, whoever, I, I just don't see enough discussion around, uh, dehumidification at all. And I, I think it's super important. Just, just as you said that the dust mite thing intrigued me. Can you, can you, um, touch on that for a second? Yeah, um, dust mice, uh, I, I believe, tend to be more active at 51% and higher. Uh, so if you can get the uh, humidity up to 50% or lower, uh, they don't. They, um, they tend to uh, dry out and die off. Hmm. That's, that's interesting. And um, is there any studies like online that, that kind of point to that? that? It'd be cool to read an article on that. <laughs> I don't know why that, that would be intriguing to me, but I, I think it would be kind of interesting to read an article on how dust mites dry out if the humidity is not high enough in a space. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there are. I, I'm not sure I could point you to one right now. Um, but uh, if I recall correctly, the idea is that, uh, uh, you know, they kind of breathe through their skin. So it's uh, uh, whatever the humidity is, they're either taking in humidity or shedding humidity. So if you get it below that, that middle point, uh, they're going to lose humidity. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So on the high end, like obviously we can have mold problems and stuff like that like how like what is what is sort of the 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 danger point like obviously around 50 we're okay like between 50 to 60 maybe it might feel a little bit muggy when we get on the high end but where's the point where it it, we're kind of really in danger of of mold starting to become an issue it it would probably be the the high 60s to 70 percent range i i would try and stay um at 60 or lower but but 67% and higher, uh, you know, it's, it's really going to be about exposure at that point. So the longer you stay at the high humidity range, um, the, the more like you are to, to see mold growth. Uh, I mean, it's not just mold. There's, there's other things in the home that, that don't necessarily want to, uh, to react to, to high humidities as well. You've got, you know, furniture, you've got uh, doors that can swell. If you have hardwood floors, those can warp as they take on more humidity. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, essentially is, we're talking about structural damage to the home now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it, it's good for the HVAC technician to be aware of these things when they go into a home and, and even go in with a, a hygrometer or something like that and, and take these readings when they first step into a home, because that could, that could lead to some education to the customer. Hey, customer, your home is very humid. Uh, even though their AC might be running, let, let's say it's running and, and you, you go there to do a maintenance or something like that. And you're just swapping out filters and cleaning the condensing unit or whatever you're doing, but walking, walking in with a hygrometer, uh, maybe you get there for an evening call and you're like, wow, the humidity is really high in here. That could be a point of education and a point of actually offering up a solution that's going to help the customer in the long run with, with the mold growth and, and with the dust mites and, and stuff like that, because dust mites, obviously, I mean, I'm, I'm sure some people out there are allergic to them, but it's particulate in the air that you're breathing in and, and all that kind of stuff as they dry out and die off. Right. That's true. 
I mean, there's a couple other things that a, that an HVAC technician might consider when entering a home that has high humidity. Uh, one would be the temperature at which the homeowner is keeping their thermostat set. Uh, as I said, you you might have a a temperature that's comfortable to feel clammy, and the result is the homeowner might decide to lower their thermostat setting to try and feel more comfortable by handling it through the temperature, when in actuality the temperature might be fine. Um, and and simply by removing that uh, the moisture from the home, um, in a sense they could they could keep the thermostat setting uh, where it was, uh, perhaps even raise it a few points and still feel comfortable. Um, so in the long run, that means uh, less energy usage, and um, more more comfort within the home uh, year round, and and the second thing is is also energy usage, but it's it's the HVAC system. Uh, you know, there there's there's some idea that if the the evaporative coil of the AC system is is uh, handling a lot of moisture load, a lot of latent load at the time, then less of its energy is contributing to the sensible load. And so by taking that load off the AC system, putting it on the dehumidifier, the AC becomes more efficient and can handle the temperature load more quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Very interesting. And, and I, I think I, I totally agree with you that if someone sets their thermostat to 72 in the summer, they like it cold or, or in the house they like it cool i think if you get rid of that moisture and get it down to a level that's comfortable in the in like the 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 high 50 the the high 40s or something like that i think that you could probably raise your thermostat yeah maybe to 75 and and still feel fine in in the home because i've been i've sat in a 75 degree room and if it's not humid in that room yeah it's 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 half decently comfortable it's not too hot or anything like that at least i don't find so, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's good points. And so let's take this into the, we're kind of talking about this in a little bit, it's intertwining together, but let's take this into the summer months where it is extremely hot during the day, depending where you are. And then the sun goes down and it's that, that radiant heat from the sun is not bouncing off the house and causing it to, to heat up and your thermostat ends up clicking off at like, I don't know, let's say 930 in the evening because your, your, your sensible load is satisfied, right? So you could still have latent load left over and that could build through the evening, depending on the the structure of your house and all that kind of stuff. So this is where dehumidification can come in again, right? In, In this kind of situation. Rapid locking system has developed their own app, which you can quote from. There's some documentation on there. There's some tools to help you learn and and flow through your work. Okay. When you're using the press system. So check it out. I heard it's only on Apple right now, but the Google play version is coming soon. So check out the rapid locking system app. Company cam guys is something that helps your business get organized by collecting images, videos, voiceovers, voice memos, whatever you want, any sort of digital way to collect things, it's all collected and put into one place. So anybody within that job or on that job can see it anywhere remotely just by clicking within the app onto that specific job. So check out company cam to get organized. No more emails, no more texts back and forth, just everything in one spot. JB warranties guys, JB warranties has a fabulous warranty program that it, it supersedes the manufacturer's warranty when the manufacturer's warranty is over. I don't know if supersede is the right word there, but you know what I mean? It, when the manufacturer's warranty is over, JB warranty steps in and they take control of the warranty to keep your customers peace of mind, labor reimbursements for your techs up to $300 an hour and 14 day turnaround time on claims. So check out JB warranties. I'm going to get, uh, I got an email that finally I've been waiting to check this out for a very long time. The yellow jacket Mano, which is their manometer and the, um, static pressure tips is, is finally ready. And I'm going to get one to test. So check it out online. It's the Yellow Jacket Mano, which is basically a a wireless dual port manometer, and it comes with the static pressure tips to detect to, to, to check static pressure of systems. So check them out. Right. It's it's the same thing as as the uh, the shoulder season, um, but it's it's on a, a much more rapid scale. Uh, you know the 
in, in the, the middle of summer, your peak heat loads is going to be at the middle of the day, early afternoon, and then it's just going to wane from there. Um, and while the dehumidifier and the AC system might seem to be fighting each other, you know, dehumidifiers do kick out a bit of heat. Um, you know, your AC system should be able to handle that. But as, as the sun goes down, as that heat load lessens, uh, the AC is going to run less frequently, uh, and the dehumidifier um, will, will still be doing its job. Um, you know, any, any uh, heat that comes off of that system, the AC should be able to handle without an issue. Uh, in some cases where it just stays warm all night long, um, you know, that's, that's a different situation. Um, but, uh, for a lot of places that's going to be, uh, you know, kind of the pattern where AC runs during the day, less so at night, dehumidifier handles the humidity, uh, as, as long as it's high. So let's talk about, I'm interested to know what your most popular dehumidifier solution is. Like what is the, the, the one that is sold the most to customers? And I just wanted to talk about that for a minute. If, if you know, off by hand. Sure. Um, that's that's probably going to be our, our middle size unit. It's uh, it's our model uh, E100. Uh, it's a hundred pint dehumidifier. That's um, uh, it's a good size in terms of capacity, but also uh, just you know cabinet size, the physical space it takes up. Uh, you can have higher capacity, but they tend to be larger units. You could have lower capacity and get smaller units, but I think that's a good mix of of uh, you know capacity, energy consumption, and, and just physical space is going to take up. It can probably handle, you know, 80% of the, the country's needs. Cool. Okay. So, um, for, for the installer, what sort of, what would be involved in that? Like how difficult of an install or how easy of an install would it be to get this thing up and running? Um, I mean, for the most part, it's, it's plug and play. Uh, okay. The installation is going to be, uh, you know, finding um, a, an outlet for it, uh, uh, running the drain line to someplace that can handle the condensate. Um, and uh, when we talk about ducting, it, it depends on if it's going to an HVAC system, uh, you know, the duct work, or if it's going to a couple of uh, wall vents. Um, but, uh, it, you know, our, our dehumidifiers come with... Uh, collars already attached to them for easy attachment to flex or rigid duct. Uh, they come with a, a drain spout, uh, so it's uh, easy to hook up to, uh, um, you know, drain tubing. Um, and we try and really make those as, as simple as they can. And, and uh, you know, barring any any special considerations for the home, um, you know, it's, it's ready to go. Just plug it in, turn it on, and, and, uh, and set your dryness level. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to look uh, a little bit more in, into the equipment that's needed for residential type style uh, dehumidification solutions because I have recently uh, become a new business owner, uh, McCready HVAC, as I'm leaving the company that I'm with uh, in a couple of weeks. And, and I might be doing some indoor air quality. I'd, l I'd love to focus on indoor air quality in, in my area and try to be somebody that wants to bring quality air to their their customers and these conversations i love having because i want to know how things work what's 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 needed to install them like just just everything there is to know so the when i speak to the customer i am kind of ready for it i'm educated on on what they do and, and how they work and where to best put them and walking in with that hygrometer is is where i think the fun begins is like you have to find out there's a problem first unless you have like an index sort of monitoring system um so yeah it's this is this is my journey from now is is trying to be a indoor air quality specialist in my area amongst other things <laughs> so I'm glad i'm glad we're chatting but let's move the conversation to uh, de uh, uh humidification okay so we we dehumidify in the summer most of the time but we also humidify in the winter because the air tends to dry out. And we have a couple of ways to do that. Evaporative humidifiers that you see, like I guess some people like to call them bypass style humidifiers sometimes. And then we have the steam. So what? let's, let's talk about both of those. Let's talk about evaporative style first. How do they sure. work? How do they work? Well, evaporative is, uh, you know, just a very natural way of, of turning liquid water into vapor. 
and it uses, uh, for the most part, it's going to be a duct-mounted uh, humidifier. Um, bypass refers to a humidifier that, that pulls air from uh, the supply ducts uh, through the humidifier and discharges that back into the return. Uh, there are some humidifiers uh, that, uh, that are mounted solely on the, on the supply duct and just use a, a circulating fan to pull the air through the humidifier and push it right back in there. Mm-hmm. So evaporative just uses the heat of the furnace uh, the water from from the homeowner's uh, water system uh, and an airflow, and that's the three things that you need. Uh, you know, you increase or decrease any one of those, and you change the rate of evaporation. But for the most part, it's it's air, heat, water, and, um, and that's the way nature does it. That's the way that we do it. Um, and uh, the 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 nice thing about that is that it 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 kind of uses the the system that's already in place, the the heating and cooling system. Uh, the heating system primarily and the ductwork. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it also you know avoids some of the you know the the other type of uh, portable uh, issues which could be you know white dust getting in the air because we're not really atomizing or misting the water we're just letting the air pick up whatever it can you know a bit like a hair dryer dries hair you know it's it's just picking up the moisture and and putting that into the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, and that's evaporative. So steam humidifiers uh, are a bit more uh, proactive, a bit more aggressive. They uh, they use uh, electricity to uh, either heat an element or, in, in the case of an April Air uh, steam humidifier, uh, uses a pair of electrodes to pass current through the water to excite it into an evaporative state. And that turns it, it's just basically boiling. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you get the same effect as you're boiling water on your stovetop. Um, you, you apply a lot of heat to a pot of water, you turn it into vapor very quickly, um, and the amount of evaporation increases the more power you add to it. Uh-huh. Uh, so it, it's uh, generally we recommend that for homes that are either larger or just have, um, you know, significant, uh, you know, lacking moisture, essentially significant needs for humidity uh, and uh, and maybe uh, not a lot of space to to add that. So, um, you know, where an evaporative humidifier might add uh, a half a gallon or three quarters of a gallon of, of moisture an hour, a steam humidifier can do probably twice that. Uh, it's for a residential size unit. Mm-hmm. So the poor, you want to know the poor man's way to steam humidify a, a home. And, and I, I used to do this all the time. Yeah, any guesses? <laughs> uh, maybe it's the, the, the pot of water on a radiator. <laughs> um, it's close. A, a kettle beside the return air. Okay. So my, uh, the first house that I bought and had no, well, it, when we moved in, it had one of those old, humidifiers that had like the rotating drum with the, the nasty pad and in, inside of it um you know which ones i'm talking about right oh i remember those my my family had one of those for years and we were always refilling um the the reservoir or uh, or, or filling tanks and, and putting those back in there um it uh you know from from that perspective it it worked it did its thing um uh, but you know as we we learn a little bit more about uh, humidification, um, you know, it, it tended to be a very slow, a very passive process, cold air, cold water. Uh, and, um, you know, three gallons a day, I think was about what, what we might've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had one of those, it didn't work. It was unplugged. I think we pulled it off because it just, it was a disgusting mess. And I just grabbed a kettle one day and I'm like, Hmm, this should work. And I plugged it in beside the return air. And within half an hour, the house just felt amazing. Like it was, it was, it was great. Like I could feel the itchiness of my skin starting to fade a little bit. And, and you know, like the worst feeling is in the winter and it's dry. You go to put on a pair of pants and you can see the static, like crackling as I see it can, it's like fireworks going off. If you're putting your, your pants on in the dark. Um, I hated that. So the steam, from the kettle really, really worked. And if, if someone's out there, they're just buying their first home, they can't afford to put in fancy indoor air quality stuff. That really does work. You just got to be careful though, because you can't over humidify or you'll start getting condensation on the windows. And that's something we should probably talk about in a minute. But I, I wanted to go back to evaporative steam for a second. I was reading in one of your manuals, I can't remember what model it was, that you guys were wanting hot water, 
uh, pipe to the humidifier and also trying to tie it in to the heating cycle rather than the fan. What, what, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, that's, that's true. Um, I mean, to, to a certain extent, what the three things that we need again are airflow, heat and water. And if you combine the heat with the air, that's great. If you combine the heat with the water, that's great. If you actually have hot air and hot water, that's the best. You can, you can boost the performance of, of, uh, uh, the evaporative humidifiers by, by feeding them with hot water and putting them on with the, the heat cycle, um, where we tend to say it can be one or the other or both is that there's, you know, similar to the way the AC system isn't always running uh, during the summer months, your heating system may not be running all the time during the winter months. There's going to be downtime, uh, but the humidity needs could be uh, constant. Um, you know, if you've got a very efficient furnace, maybe it doesn't run a whole lot. And if the humidity is tied only to the heat cycle, the humidifier doesn't run a whole lot. Uh, so, if you can tie it into the fan cycle, you can force the fan to circulate the air all the time. Mm -hmm. um, the, the heat from the water provides the necessary energy for evaporation. Uh, and, and again, you could humidify 24 hours a day if that's what's needed to get your humidity up. Now, ideally, you start running a humidifier in the fall before the humidity plummets, before your house dries out. You want to maintain the humidity as you as you ease into the, the cooler months. Makes sense. Um, so you're not trying to bring it up from, you know, 25% back to 40% or 45%. You try and maintain the 45% as you get into the season. Um, and and I think if people have humidifiers and, and they, they are seeing, you know, playing catch up, maybe they're they're thinking that they, their humidity is fine and, and they're kind of enjoying the cooler months, but they might be starting to humidify uh, too late. So mm -hmm. keeping that, you know, keeping that level uh, is probably better for them, better for their furnishings, better for their home in the long run. That's an interesting point that I didn't, I, I didn't even think of about starting to maintain your humidity before it dries out. That's, that's a very interesting point because materials like wood and stuff, um, as your house starts to dry out, any material that holds moisture is going to release it first. And that material is going to dry out. Like, I mean, if you have hardwood floors or, you know what I mean? And any, any building material that, that needs moisture, uh, a, a constant moisture uh, range or, or a, a certain moisture range is going to dry out and it's going to affect how that uh, building material performs. Right. Yeah, you make a good point with wood floors. Uh, a lot of people, um, you know, take a lot of pride, spend a lot of money to put in and maintain their wood floors. Um, but but some of the, um, you know, the fine print on that says that you got to maintain humidity because, uh, you know, if the, the wood gets too dry, it's gonna it's gonna shrink, it's gonna split, it's gonna crack. If it gets too humid, it's gonna swell, it's gonna warp, it's gonna buckle, and um, and and some installers uh, will say, well. You know, if you have a problem, that that part was on you. So maintaining humidity is not imp just important for the occupants of the home, but it's it's very important for the furnishings for the um, for the wood floors. Yeah, we we had a whole um, you know campaign for a while where you're we trying to educate the the wood flooring industry. Uh, I mean, we still do, but um, it it was kind of a an eye opener for a lot of them. Yeah. Hmm. That's yeah. That that that's uh, that's something. Maybe a lot of people are thinking, "Hmm, <laughs> I should go check what kind of uh, what specs my floor has in it now." <laughs> um, so you you mentioned something that that striked uh, kind of a thought, and, and that is controlling the humidity in the winter time, so we don't create issues. Like, so if you get if you're in a really cold climate, like we're in a cold climate, uh, you, you guys are in a cold climate too, because you're um, in Wisconsin, right? That's right. Yeah. So you might even be a little bit north than, than where I am because I'm in Toronto. We're kind of dipped down in, into the south. So possibility you, you could be a little bit more north or, or in the same uh, playing field as, as I am. And so we, we experience cold weather. And in that cold weather, if your humidity is too high and your windows aren't very good, you're going to have a bunch of sweating and condensation that can run down. If you got wooden frames, it can start eating away at that moisture can damage the wood. Is there, is there any advice on how to maintain this with, without causing issues with your condensation windows and, and that moisture kind of running and, and beating down? Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting uh, concept because it's, it's a bit of a, a balancing act. 
you're trying to maintain the comfort level of of the home. Uh, you know, for example, you you mentioned the the static shocks, the the dry itchy skin, and and uh, you know that might happen around 35% humidity, uh, maybe a little lower. Um, so you're trying to keep it above that point, but uh, the condensation is going to occur whenever that inside surface of the window hits dew point, and and it's not like we can tell you when that's going to happen. That's really a function of the windows. If you took a cross section of a you know a window, pane of glass or double pane or triple pane, whatever you've got, the coldest surface in the window is going to be that outside surface that's right out against the outside air. Uh, the warmest surface should be what's on the inside of the house uh, facing the the living space, and and across that is going to be sort of a gradient of of you know temperatures that get colder and colder mm -hmm. uh or or as you know you look the other way it's it's warmer and warmer but at some point if whatever the temperature is outside causes the inside surface uh to hit dew point you're going to see condensation and and that's going to happen at, at different points depending on the temperature uh it's going to happen uh at different points based on the window itself uh, as an example in in um you know, where I live, I've got uh, a nice glass door and, and a couple of uh, windows on either side of it. And if, if I'm over humidifying uh, the, the living space, I'll start to see condensation on the glass door and uh, well before I see any condensation on the windows. Um, and that just tells me that that, that door is not, uh, the glass on the door is not as well insulated as the windows are. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, essentially it's the same temperature outside, the same temperature inside. It's just what's going on with the windows. So, um, other other considerations might be for for homeowners um, uh, south facing windows. You know, in the northern hemisphere, the sun's in the south, so um, you know those will will get the benefit of the sun throughout the day. Whereas uh, north facing windows uh, will probably never see the sun unless it's uh, you know reflected sunlight. So. Again, same temperature outside, same temperature inside, but because they're not heated by the sun, uh, the north-facing windows might show signs of condensation um, more quickly and, and more mm -hmm. consistently than, than other windows will. Hmm. Yeah, so some, some stuff. And, and I guess you could actually get some a designer involved to, to help out with that because there's so many... A technician that's good spinning a wrench and changing a compressor and banging in a piece of duct it sometimes is totally lost on the whole concept of of this stuff the, the building performance stuff and and i've been talking to some a couple of designers lately and i was i was amazed by how cheap you can get like a load calc done like the, the heat load um and and get get a, a, an equipment selection done it's it's not that expensive so i mean it, it's just it just brings me to the thought that designers could get involved when you have some some real issues with um with humidity and and dehum and condensation on windows and stuff like that um so let me come back to steam for a minute because you mentioned the electrodes going into the cylinder right and that works much differently because I, I know a lot of people can can think of electric heaters sitting in some water. The heaters get warm and the water starts to boil and turns into steam and there we go. But the two electrodes, some people don't understand that quite uh, or they don't they don't grasp that. So the two electrodes, how, how does that work? Sure. Um, so a lot of people might think that electricity and water don't really mix and and it's it's. Uh... You know, for the, the the case of boiling water, it's it's just fine. Um, so what we have is a, a steam canister uh, that has two um, plates. They look like really fine uh, grates that are submerged in the water, and and we have uh, you know line voltage or high voltage passing between the two, and the the water itself is the conductive medium that allows the current to pass from one electrode into the other and passing through the water uh creates that uh the heat it you know it raises the energy level until it starts to boil and you know one of the things about water for a lot of places uh you know around the country is that water is fairly non-conductive uh when it's clean mm -hmm. um pure water is almost you know, not conductive at all. You would not want to use deionized water or, or anything that's been treated by reverse osmosis. Something that demineralizes the water would actually make the current much more difficult to pass. Uh, but but for a lot of places, uh, it's just going to be um, whatever your starting 
you know, mineral content is. Uh, and then as the water heats up and evaporates away, more water is brought in, leaving more minerals behind in the water. You know, as the as the water boils away, that's that's pure steam, that's water vapor. But the impurities stay in the inside the cylinder. Yeah. Uh, so that those remaining minerals help to concentrate and and improve the conductivity of the water, so more current can pass through it. Um, and uh, you know, when we're when we're getting a a full steam going, we're probably passing around you know seven amps of current, ten amps of current through the water um, at at two hundred and forty volts. Um, so it, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty unique when you, um, have a, a, a cold steam chamber and, but you have highly conductive water in there. You turn it on and the water starts to boil almost instantly, uh, at the top of the canister, but at the bottom of the canister, the water still feels cold. So that's, that's a lot of energy to, uh, uh, to turn into, uh, your water into steam. Mm-hmm. So what about the lightning in the bottle? When you see, you see the lightning bolts firing back and forth. Is that well, when there's way too many too many minerals in the water? That all to me sounds like there's something floating around in the water, something that's not supposed to be there. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, you know metal filings or or something that's that's uh, uh, worked its way in that's not in, intended to be there. Um, that should not happen with you know clean water and and uh, uh, standard uh, uh, you know dissolved minerals. Mm-hmm. I I've, I don't see it often, but there are I've seen some really heavily um i guess soiled or just a lot of minerals left in the tank and it's like you you, you see like these sparks kind of flashing in, in the bottle and then we just change the bottle and then it's it's fine right after should be yeah i've, I've seen uh, i've seen videos of that as well and it and uh, to me it looks like there's something skipping around on the surface of the water mm-hmm. um and you know from a visual inspection that it, it to me that says there's something in there that's not supposed to be there yeah but, um I, I would say that if that were occurring, absolutely changing the canister out. Over time, um, the canister should be changed anyway, um, but but ideally it's not due to any any arcing that's happening inside. Yeah. Yeah, a couple things with that. Uh, so I, I've seen some old school trick that uh, some of the, the senior guys that, that I've seen at my place, uh, current place do is uh, throw a pack of salt in a brand new cylinder when it goes in to increase the amount of minerals in the water to increase the the conductivity. Yeah, that that'll work. Um, so so salt water is much more conductive uh, than than fresh water is. Um, we have to be careful with that though. Uh, with uh, you know not knowing exactly how much that amount of salt is going to increase the conductivity in the canister by you do run the risk of kind of spiking it and and causing the the water to um become too conductive uh i mean that'll happen normally in in a steam humidifier but what it's supposed to do is when the when the current gets beyond what it's um what it's configured to handle, it'll drain some of that highly conductive, uh, you know, I call it a soup, but it's basically just the, the concentrated minerals floating around the water. It'll drain some of that out and bring in fresh water and, and dilute that and bring the conductivity back down. Um, so if you're spiking it with a pack of salt, um, it will certainly raise the conductivity, but the question is from what to what? And, and I don't know. Um, so my recommendation, what I would talk to customers, was, was always to do it in a very controlled fashion. If you took um, a little bit of salt, dissolved it in a, like a coffee mug full of hot water, and there's um, uh, on, on our humidifiers, there's a cap at the top you can remove and, and pour water directly into the, the feed line that goes into the, um, into the canister. And if you're using an amp clamp, uh, around one of the electrodes, you can monitor the rise in in amp draw as you as you slowly pour some water in there. Interesting. And and then you'd stop when you get to you know the boiling point. And if you if you exceed that, you know you run the risk of uh, well, you know very simply you could you could trip a circuit breaker if it starts drawing too much current. Yeah. Hmm. So my other my other thing was with the cylinders, there was a. There was a print room I used to take care of. The building actually moved into another building uh, a couple of years ago. So I stopped taking care of that, that, that one physical site. But there was a print room and it had to keep a certain percent RH. And what would happen is <laughs> they, they would go th- 
so it was it was a disaster. The room was set up for disaster to begin with because these big Xerox machines, they had constant exhaust, constant exhaust. So the room wasn't sealed either. So basically you're bringing in warehouse air constantly because it's under a negative and then your any humidity that's being created in the room is being exhausted and dumped outside. So they had they were going through cylinders in the winter time. I would say between mid November till about mid March. They were going through cylinders like every 3 to 4 weeks. And uh they it was getting expensive for them. So they started to use this water uh maybe water treatment company or something like that they would take the cylinders after i took them out they say oh leave the cylinders here um we're gonna get them treated or we're gonna get them refurbished i'm like that's kind of sounds weird but so anyway i go back they're like here's the refurbished one and i look inside the electrodes they they're still like all black and discolored from the heat and or the, the current that they were moving and the the little um I don't, I don't know what they are, but every electrode that I've seen in a, in a cylinder has got like almost like a, like a covering around it to maybe protect it from maybe minerals or something that's floating. But anyway, those things were all broken and bashed and there was still uh, calcium buildup or mineral buildup in them. I'm like, this is not refurbished. Like, what are they doing with this? And I found out all they were doing is putting a little descaler inside swishing it around <laughs> dumping it out and then giving it back to them saying it was refurbished and i'm like i don't know i, I i'm really not putting i'm not going to put these things back into your machines i'm not doing it because these things look like they're going to cause a problem what do you think yeah we we would get questions about being able to reuse canisters too i i understand there's you know there can be quite an expense associated with them but um i mean in in theory, it, it might work really. It, that's what limits the, the lifetime of the canister is the amount of scale that's built up inside. But I, I am not aware of any easy way to, uh, to get scale back out of it. You know, I, I would worry that anything that's caustic enough to dissolve the, uh, the mineral buildup could potentially um, attack the, uh, uh, the, the metal of the electrodes as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think just the safe bet is to replace it. Um, I've, I've also talked with uh, over, over the years, several people who um, were in, uh, you know, print shops and, and the risk is, is kind of twofold. If you have too little humidity, maybe the paper sticks together and, and can jam the systems. And if there's too much humidity, then the ink doesn't, doesn't dry quickly enough. And uh, you know, you get uh, smears and smudges. So, um, you know, absolutely maintaining proper humidity is an issue. Uh, it sounds like in that case, it was kind of a, a single pass, though. You know, you, you had the humidity, you had to add the humidity to the air, uh, knowing that it's going to get a single pass through the system and then be on its way outside. Um, that that can be tricky if there's no way to, uh, you know, recover that um, or to maintain the um, uh, the energy that's already been spent. That's, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's an I, issue. Yeah, the room wasn't designed well. It was just kind of patched together over the years, and they when 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 no when they don't listen to what you're telling them, like guys, you're <laughs> you're exhausting air constantly out of this room. Any humidity you put in it is going right up that stack. So I, you need to think of something else. But they were just like, no, we'll just keep changing the bottles until they got upset that the bottles were costing them uh too much money over the course of time but anyway that's that's just one of the stories and one of the daily issues that us guys in the field have to deal with but uh, i i appreciate your time tonight this was enlightening and the the the, <laughs> the thing about the dust mites drying out kind of kind of intrigued me i don't know why but it, <laughs> there's got to be a video online of a dust mite drying out and crumpling up from the humidity <laughs> gets gets too low but anyway any last thoughts on dehum or humidification on how to optimize it or, or or how to feel comfortable in your home well i think one thing that we we only touched on just a bit was how to uh you know get more um life out of the home when you've got condensation potentially building up and, and a lot okay. of people have a fairly you know inexpensive low-tech answer which you, it might be to put the that um insulated plastic wrap over the windows it, it essentially adds an extra layer of protection an extra barrier um and to keep the condensation off the windows um you know 
I'm not sure how that works for everybody, but but the risk of of having the condensation on the windows, of course, is um, you know having damp uh, woodwork or or sills, which can lead to mold and mildew. Uh, it could lead to water getting inside the woodwork, uh, potentially freezing and, and splitting, causing more leaks, uh, making your house less efficient. And, and it just sort of snowballs from there. Um, so, you know, I, I, my advice for everybody would be just, just kind of learn your own home, um, see what's going to work for you. Um, and maybe talk to the contractors uh, in your area about, uh, you know, what what simple things you can do to to help uh, improve the efficiency to of, of the home, the energy efficiency to maintain the humidity levels. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of that that uh, that Goldilocks zone. You don't want it too dry. You don't want it too humid. Um, you know, we want it uh, we want it just right. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yeah, and, and that's what we're going to strive for. There's so much education on indoor air quality coming out these days, and, and I don't see why anybody can't learn this stuff and, and, and keep their customers uh, on point when it comes to humidification. Anyway, um, thanks, man. Brett, this, this, has been, this has been amazing, and uh, I thank you for your time tonight. My pleasure. All right. So Brett gave us a lot of info here. Thanks, Brett. I really appreciate that. So on, on one side, we got dehumidification and when we're going to do it like in the shoulder seasons when it's not even that warm outside to run the ac or in the middle of the summer when it is warm outside but our thermostat might shut down at like 9 p.m because our sensible load is taken care of at that point then on the flip side we got humidification for the winter season how we're going to do it steam we talked about steam and we talked about evaporative type humidifiers so there's many different options and now we are loaded with information to go out there and get that comfortable indoor setting for our customers we're, we're knowledgeable uh, get more knowledgeable but we're armed with a little bit more information than we were previous so thank you once again guys for hanging out and thank you to the master group i'm out happy hvacking hope you enjoyed the show Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.